0: Welcome to Bucking the Trend. I am your host, Eduardo Da Costa, and this episode, we have none other than Melanie Keane of the Welcome Collection. Melanie is an interesting proposition, as unlike many others whom we've interviewed this, this series of Bucking the Trend, uh, Melanie is a Londoner and not an adopted Londoner. So there's an interest there for me, and I think for the audience, for how Black Brits feature in the wider ecosystem of the art world in terms of directorial systems. Melanie Keane has had previous involvement with Innova as a director, as a curator. She's a mother She's also a childbirth educator, which she has stressed is one of the best things about her, really. Melanie Keane has worked for the Arts Council. Melanie Keane is, again, an East Londoner who hails from the same area as me. Melanie is one of the most interesting people in terms of the BIPOC experience because of her unwithering support for community and just kind of getting in a different understanding of Stuart Hall's legacy from the inside, and much more. She also mentions Sonia Boyce and other people besides who have made her career what it is. I hope you enjoyed this episode.
1: Yeah, let's start with, how's your day been? How's my day been? Probably not the question to start with. Um, It has been full of conversation, some of them more enlightening and productive than others. Uh I would say all my conversations here are enlightening, I have to say. The conversation that I've had sort of revealed the breadth of my job. So, from talking about operations to how the team are doing to the future strategy for Welcome Collection, to you know, so it's been a, a kind of quite broad conversation, but very some of them very intense. Wow. Let's then get into the meat of things.
0: Melanie, would you like to introduce yourself
1: in whatever way you feel comfortable? So I am Melanie Keane. I'm currently director of Welcome Collection, which is a museum, library and archive. We describe ourselves as a free museum of health and human experience based in London on the Eastern Road. My background is in curating. I've studied curating. I would describe myself as a curator, but I also enjoy writing. More latterly, I enjoy public speaking. I never thought I'd ever say that, but <laughs> I do. Um, I do enjoy being in conversation I think more than presenting papers. I've had stints at Arts Council England as a senior relationship manager working in the visual arts team so I had a fantastic opportunity to learn about arts policy and funding policy um, and build relationships with some incredibly talented people in the visual arts sector um, across uh, the UK and um, and internationally, as well, but I started my career at Innover the Institute of International Visual Arts as first as an assistant curator, then at the point of leaving after seven years. I was projects curator, I worked with some incredible artists, I had some fantastic opportunities, and I left. That role, when I had children and I worked as a freelancer uh, or as an independent curator, um, I had done a couple of curatorial projects, but I worked more as the kind of independent curator consultant before joining the Arts Council. And when I left the Arts Council, I went back to InnovA as director and I spent four years as director of InnovA before joining Welcome Collection. That's me in a nutshell. That's my... That's my art context.
0: That's your clotted history of your progression. So I like to describe our conversations here as free indirect speech, no joking, as an archaeology into your progression as a way or a mirror into what, other people who are from diverse backgrounds, let's put it in a very direct way, black predominantly professionals who are at the early stages of their career, young people, etc., mm-hmm. could glean from the way that you have managed to manage a career, create a career, build a career. So with that in mind, let's go into the early stages. What was your early education like?
1: So I grew up in East London and actually I did. I talk about my early life a lot because I think that it's important to talk about where we've come from. recognize actually that someone in my position has experienced an enormous amount of privilege and how do I in acknowledging that privilege how do I then support others who are coming after me and who will you know far exceed what I'm doing I hope. Um, So yeah I grew up in East London, child of Jamaican immigrants. I went to primary school in East London but I went to secondary school in Essex because I think you know my parents didn't want me to go to the local school it did have a poor reputation interestingly when I think about that perhaps that's another story when I think about that I think a lot of that is to do with the sort of racial tensions that existed Mm -hmm. in in East London at that time as if they didn't exist in Essex (laughs) that was that was I think they were less pronounced in Essex so the school that my brother and I went to we were the only black kids that were there. They were another two children of Asian descent who were at different years to us in the school. So that had its fair share of challenges. After I left school, I applied to do an art foundation and I got onto a foundation at somewhere called East Ham College of Technology, which is in East London, near Upton Park, Plastow. And I was really fortunate at that time to meet Sonia Boyce. She had graduated a couple of years before me and the head of the foundation course said, you must speak to Sonia. So I established a relationship with her then. And actually, I've never looked back on my relationship with Sonia. Our paths always seem to intersect which is fantastic wow so I have got it's quite a kind of long sort of winding tale if if you're okay I'll just I'll just keep I'll keep going on or did you have Uh, a did you want me to to stop and
0: no 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 I think these stories need to be told in a way that is sort of authentic to your experience and to your own words so I was just going to chime in and say something along the lines of I also grew up in East London I currently live I'm not sure if um Good Maze is quite Essex enough.
1: Good uh Good Maze is quite Essex. Well I grew up in Manor Park.
0: So did and... I grew up in that area too, but yeah, Forest Gate I, I was born, sort of Stratford,
1: I was born in Forest
0: Gate. Even better. I, I have an affinity <laughs> with that place, um, especially around West Ham Park. I wasn't born in in what did you call it, in Newham, but I was born in Angola and came when I was six. Okay. Wow. So yeah. So we have. Uh, yeah, I'm, all I'm saying is we have a lot of synergy there. Hence, so I was smiling.
1: <laughs> yeah, I thought when you when I saw you nodding, I thought this is somebody who knows East London, and actually, Sonia grew up in East London. Yeah. As well, which is why she went to East Ham College of Technology. But, but it's a sort of reflection on the sort of arrogance of youth that you go yeah. to Art Foundation and you think that your tutors and the people that you meet are just people working in a college. And actually, our tutors were practicing artists, one of them was represented in the concept, recent, I think in the last four years, conceptual art in Britain exhibition. And the people that I met in that course were extraordinary. And they had come from, you know, really diverse walks of life, different age groups. I'm not even sure. I talked to my kids, one of whom is doing an art foundation at the moment, and say, you probably won't have that because people have to pay to do a foundation after they're 20. I feel incredibly fortunate that I went to, did my foundation, did my degree at a time when I didn't have to pay for fees. You know, I was incredibly fortunate. I had my parents divorced and my mum was basically a lone working parent who supported me, actually. And that's one thing I talk about a lot about the ability to do what I did, which I'll talk about a little bit later, because my mum allowed me to stay at home rent free and Otherwise, you know, me talking to you now probably wouldn't be a possibility. So in spite of the sort of challenges of youth, I do feel that I've had really significant advantages, actually, and having a parent who supported me to Do what I dreamed about, even though my dreams are really unformed at that stage. So I went to, when I did foundation, I thought I wanted to be a textile artist, actually. I applied to Goldsmiths to do the fine art textiles course and I didn't get in. So I spent... A year, actually with a friend of mine from school, I I think I basically, I sort of snuck in the side door and was using their printing equipment and going to life drawing classes. I don't think I ever even really registered. It's like the sort of thing you could do those days. You know, nobody needed a security pass; You just pitch up. So I was there for a year. Sonia helped me put my portfolio together and I ended up quite strangely at Loughborough. College of Art and Design, which is now Loughborough University. Very peculiar three years I spent there doing fine arts. That experience still stays with me. I still, there's an element of me where I I could never imagine myself not working with artists or being part of the conversation around making art. So yeah, I spent three years in Loughborough, peculiar three years, left college with an overdraft rather than alone, as most people I think right now and I had to pay off that loan and I went back home my mum let me stay there rent free and I worked for British Gas (laughs) for a year paying off my loan and it was I have to say it was a brilliant year again I met people who weren't like me or people who I had an affinity with I just I I, I did have a great year and then I I think and, and it allowed me to focus actually on what I really wanted to do and I knew that I probably didn't want to practice art but I did want to work with artists There used to be a community centre I don't know if it was a around when you were in Forest and Stratford called the Tom Allen community centre. It might it might not have been. Sadly, it got raised to the ground sometime in the 90s, I think. But it sort of came out of that history of community centres of activism where sort of performance, yeah, community activism. Met It was it was quite an incredible place, actually. A friend of mine was working behind the bar and she said, why don't you come and work there? And I saw they had a gallery there which wasn't being used. So I said, can I run the gallery? I'll do it voluntarily. And the, I was able to do that because um, I was living at home and I was claiming benefits, <laughs> which was, again, you know, those things are just, they've been totally eroded now. That ability to be able to really sort of foster a dream and do the things that you want to do in the hope that one day you'll get a job that pays you for it I have to say I did this work out of sort of a passion and a commitment and I remember some family friends next door neighbours on the street that I grew up on and they were asking me what I was going to do after school and I said I'm going to art college and they just laughed at me you're never going to get a job what do people do when they've been to art college? You know, I was I was roundly laughed at. The only person, and I say the only person, there were others, but my mum just believed in me. You know, I, I have to say, I don't... <laughs> maybe, maybe she thought that I would just... I would realise I was on a road to nowhere and stop, but she never, ever said that.
0: I just wanted to, like, wind yeah. you back
1: a little bit. In, in the yes,
0: do. <laughs> so... <laughs> That's an interesting story, story that I have so much affinity with the audience don't even know. we can see each other, so you can see me smiling at each point that there's a similarity okay. in our in our previous Let's just put that the question I wanted to ask was surrounding so you were going into Goldsmith, did you say, as like what was the place that you were going into to do okay, this?
1: that's a good question, so it wasn't goldsmith, I wish no, they basically said you know we haven't got a place for you Melanie it was a college in Thurrock I mm. can't remember what it was called maybe Thurrock Technical College and my friend was there doing she had left school a couple of years earlier than me or a year earlier than me and she was doing I think they still have them now but it was like a kind of BTEC diploma in art and design and she basically said you know come and use the facilities and I did me a really fantastic oh, I can't remember her name but I remember her presence and the warmth of her support I guess there was a tutor there who just really really supported me. Just, I was able to talk to her about my ideas and she helped me think through how my work developed and how to, I used a lot of kind of material from my sort of personal family life, which was quite sort of fairly chaotic, I would say. And she really helped me to kind of channel that creatively. So, yes, that's what I was doing before I got my portfolio together and went to to Loughborough for three years. So I graduated in 1990, spent a year working at British Gas and then started running this gallery. And then I saw an advert in Artist Newsletter, which actually used to be a magazine. (laughs) And Chisenthal Gallery were looking for volunteers. And I applied and I got... I got the job, I had to apply to be a volunteer. I got the job with somebody else. I think they had loads of candidates. And Jonathan Watkins was the director at that time. So Jonathan is a director of Icon Gallery. And he was tremendously supportive. I guess also I just used to ask for things. I don't know where I got that kind of confidence from. Like you know, I said, is it a
0: new thing, just asking, <laughs> being very direct
1: and asking. Maybe, for things. maybe, maybe it was something. My dad had had kind of given to me I got the line which I know lots of my friends and colleagues who are black particularly growing up in Britain have kind of said it's like you're gonna have to work harder than your white counterparts you know don't rest on your laurels you're gonna be accused of things you haven't done you're gonna all this stuff you know that you're carrying around as a young person which is a lot so I don't know if there was a bit of that or I don't know. I'm not quite sure where I got that confidence from. I wouldn't necessarily describe myself as a very hugely confident person, but I think I saw an opportunity and I would ask for something so I asked him if I could work on some of the exhibitions and work directly with some of the artists. So I was basically a gopher for people like Christine Borland, who did, on a, I think, her first solo show there. I met a lot of artists. It was really, it was really good. And I worked on the front desk and I helped with a bit of bookkeeping. And if any sort of anybody phoned up, any galleries phoned up and said they needed an assistant, Jonathan said, you know, would you like to, would you like to be considered for this job? He was really supportive. And I think I either... I saw this or he saw, I think it might be I saw an ad the uh, I think it was in the Guardian. The MA in it was called Visual Arts Administration, but it was the MA in curating at Royal College. And I think I spoke to him about it, and he was so supportive. He was like, "You must apply for this." And I applied the first year, and I didn't get in. And actually, it just sort of hardened my resolve. I was like, "I have to get on this course." And I applied the second year. So in that time, I was still doing work at Tom Allen Centre and working at Chisenhale, and I got on on the, the second year's intake and those two years were revolutionary the transformative for me.
0: Talking about revolutionary and transformative, I wonder the parallel to what you were sort of traversing during that time period, the kind of discovery and the mentorship and the friendships that you were making along the way. There's also another Part of it because you're you a curator and there's, there's a cultural side of it. So, you mentioned there being a bar next to the gallery in Newham. Tell us a little bit about how your sort of cultural life was mm-hmm. going at that time, maybe what mm-hmm. you were listening to, mm-hmm. you know, the inspiration. You mentioned Song of Voice, but like other visual yeah. parts that were sort of like inspiring you towards the person that you are, you know?
1: Yeah, it's such a good question. And when I saw this as a question you're going to ask, I was thinking it's so good because actually, you know, I'm a child of the, I suppose I sort of, that that transition between child and adult or adolescence just happened in the 80s. You know, the 70s was really a time of culturally around music, around listening to lots of music my parents listened to, lots of reggae, lots of ska, but also lots of sort of 1960s melodic tunes but then there was also this sort of weird hybrid of listening to The Smiths, which I feel slightly horrified about. Given I can't remember his name now. I know I should remember Morrissey. Morrissey's right wing, just out. That's why they haven't right got wing. back
0: together again. I haven't been able to to do that <laughs> in the same enthusiasm when I started uni. You were in Loughborough when you. Were yes, years. I can imagine there must have been quite an indie
1: scene at that time. Yeah. There was um, Sinead O'Connor. I remember going to see her at the student union. A real sort of mixed bag of musical, which I suppose describes that. hybridity doesn't even really describe it. It's like this... I hate using the "melting pot." It's just it's such a hackneyed term, but I think it kind of does that. You a sense that were you allowed to? I really felt that as I got older. Was I allowed to kind of like the Smiths? Should I be liking another band? You know that question. Yeah, it was...
0: still today, doesn't it? That question specifically about yeah cultural awareness. So we, I like to weave my questions in a very sort of
1: yeah ad hoc
0: way, but yeah. The question of cultural awareness is quite important because when did you actually begin thinking about art? Was it just a subject you did in school that you excelled at, that you enjoyed?
1: Okay, that's, yeah.
0: And then I would so, love if you could then weave in a little bit about awareness of other factors, like geographical, political factors that may influence yeah, yeah. your...
1: Mm-hmm. oh that's a that's a big question but yeah I, I i'll try to I'll try to answer and reflect on some of what you' what you've asked and i I guess just before I get into that the question that you're asking, I've been able to do more of that in the last in my professional life so whilst I was a student, it was a real there was a real tension between what I felt I ought to be doing and what I ought to be engaging with to what I was actually doing. And I think in my professional life, those tensions became, or the complexity of those sort of cultural influences, particularly working in ever felt productive. And sort of more recently, I gave a keynote talk to Research Libraries UK, which are uh, welcome collection is part of because of our library. And I spoke about... And I hadn't realised this. Somebody had done a tweet sort of picking up on this. But my first cultural experience was going to the library. Our local library, which interestingly, which is called Manaparte Library, it's now called Rabbits Road Library. It's an art studio. It's community printing press. It just, it, that fills me with so much joy. You can't imagine because it was closed for years, which broke my heart. But it's open now and it's just, it's the kind of space I wanted to do. Because for me, my formative years were spent there learning to play chess learning to read classics I read John Steinbeck I read Rosa Guy just you know I'd spent it was like the place they were like my kind of after-school care because I was a latchkey kid. And I don't know if people use that expression anymore. I used to have a little key around my neck. That I that's why I'd let myself in after school, because my parents were working. And yeah, I used to go to the library and just read. And I'd at home, this is when I was at primary school at home, I'd pretend to be a librarian. And I used to hold on to books so much. So just, I got you know, partly kind of childish laziness but people you know I people used to come around and demand their books back (laughs) it was just it was quite serious kind of book addiction so that was my first kind of it's only sorts of now that I sort of think I talk about it a lot but it's like actually that was my first proper engagement with this thing called culture and then when I went to school it was very odd actually because I really enjoyed making art I didn't see it as a future career necessarily and I suppose that's conversations happening outside friends and family didn't help me to see that and then I did art A level and I thought this does feel like something that I felt that I was good at I guess I wasn't particularly I wasn't an academic kid In fact, I don't I I don't have any other A-levels. I have an art A-level though. And I remember I went for my interview at Foundation and there is a point to me telling you all this. So I went for an interview for Art Foundation at what was called, which is Middlesex University now, It was Middlesex Poly then. And I was told that my art was too tight, too rigid, because what my art teacher used to do was make us copy old master's it was extraordinary it was amazing but it was also I came I went back into school and I was livid I said to him you've let us down we don't go and see any arts we just copy art out of books and he took us to see a show at the Hayward and it was Renoir <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just sort of think you know I was telling somebody about it recently and I'm thinking was he having a laugh Like I said, I need to see some modern art. He takes me, he takes us to see paintings of, you know, larger than life white women. It was just, you know, when I think about it now, I sort of think, yeah, he was probably kind of having some sort of joke. Anyway, you know, for me, it was like, I've been into, that was the first time I went to a gallery, was to go and see that exhibition. I hadn't been to the gallery, so I was about 16 or 17. I hadn't been to the gallery before then. And... It, it did actually just, the I think, the process of going to another space of seeing, you know, art in the flesh. But it wasn't when I had this year at Thurrock. So meeting Sonia, that was a turning point for me. Being on the, the Art Foundation, there's a turning point, really beginning to kind of see other types of art practice, other types of approaches. Not particularly, I, I used to spend a lot of time at the ICA. I remember going to see state of the art. I saw thin black line, line, I you know, I saw I was beginning to, and probably encouraged by Sonia, beginning to kind of understand the breadth of the practice of art. And my foundation course, my when my degree course again, art history was in, it was an incredibly traditional sort of took a very singular approach to the history of art. And again, it was it, I was really fortunate to have this. Even though I probably didn't engage with it very consciously, just have be aware that there were other discussions going on. I used to read Art Monthly. Um, I think that uh, um, I, I think Eddie Chambers was probably writing for it in the late eighties. I've got a real sense of the Black Arts Movement. Didn't really understand the connection to me at the time didn't see to my practice as part of that that kind of some of the thinking some of the critiques around that but it was really when I went to the Royal College of Art where they really even though I have to say that at that time they really struggled with like this idea of sort of plurality of voices and perspectives you know they the way that they perceived international was very much sort of and I don't think this is unfair to say it, a very sort of Northern European, Northern American kind of view of art. But one of the things that happened there was this real explosion around that homogeneity, which existed in art. We had people like Thelma Golds come to talk to us, Jelaine Tawadrosz. It, and that's where I met Jolene. Actually, I invited her to do a panel discussion I was at the Royal, Royal College, and we were doing critical theory at uh, Middlesex University and talking about things like Africa being a construction of the West. You know, really for me, mind-blowing stuff because I hadn't touched on any of this before, and stuff that actually I did sort of struggle to grasp. But just things that really have really, yeah. When I say it was transformative, those two years really did set me on a path to kind of thinking and doing the kinds of things that I, I wanted to do with artists and around art practice.
0: With that said, I would love to chuck me find some questions at you again and ask you, what are your fields of inquiry as a curator? Especially when you have now a field of inquiry that is so expansive and in a time where health has become more and more prescient in mm. the public imagination due mm. to COVID. Women's issues, especially Black women's issues, are being mm-hmm. forced to the fore and
1: mm-hmm.
0: discussed. Mm. I want to get your perspective on
1: those things. Yeah, it's kind of, this is going to be, I probably don't know if I want this included, actually. My roles now, certainly at, Latin, my role at Innova and my role at Wellcome Collection is less to do with curating and more to do with kind of, shaping the you know the future if that makes sense mm. more about this is the direction we're going in, and then these are the things we're going to achieve and less about individual curating. I have to say I miss curating. I was talking to a colleague recently who has a more senior role now and I was like Ding not you miss curating? And she said, I've done a lot of curating. This is kind of where I want to be and I do when I left Inniverse Curator, I definitely took on those more consultation roles. Working with artists still, and working with practice, but not doing as much curating. It's interesting, the question that you posed about big questions around health um, and women. And I am particularly interested in women and women's sexual health. And something actually which I haven't, I think I've said publicly in certain areas, but I haven't said it. I haven't made a big big announcement about it. It's that when I was at the Arts Council, I was also training to be a childbirth educator. And I'm a qualified childbirth educator. And I sort of told everybody about it when I came to Welcome. And I said everybody, anybody who would listen when I came to Welcome. And started telling people about it because it felt like something that was part of me. You know, it wasn't just, I wasn't just a curator. I was also somebody who was interested in the health of women. In the sort of political, social, cultural dimension of the health of women. And particularly black women. And as you say, there are really enormous questions around sort of radically poor outcomes for the health of Black women and women overall, but particularly for Black women. One of the things I'm really interested in, sort of in terms of the line of inquiry, Are around questions about sexual reproduction and, for want of a better expression, I guess, state violence, state oppression of women to have the freedom over sexual reproduction. And there have been, I went, Paula Rega, I have to say, I've been a fan of. She's kind of one of those artists that I've just always felt connected to, I guess, and other artists might have fallen by the wayside. There's a fantastic photographer whose name I'm not going to remember, but I am going to kind of, as I'm talking, I'm going to see if I can find it, because I did post. Something on Instagram a long time ago about her work, but she created a series of really powerful, doesn't even begin to describe, visceral works of women who had been censored from taking action on their own bodies. So, were were unable by the state to have their pregnancies terminated. I think she was shortlisted for the Deutsche Photography Prize at the Photographers' Gallery. Just a phenomenal piece of work. On a personal level, I guess, more than an institutional level, although...
0: The twins tell
1: me. Yes. That's something that I feel very invested in. You know, the politics of skin as well in colourism is something that I'm really connected to. We're actually developing an exhibition, broadly speaking, around beauty. For me, I don't think you can have the kinds of exhibitions that we do at Wellcome Collection and also hold the collection that we do without thinking about the real tensions between the kind of the social, political and the cultural. So much
0: there so much there and I remember when I was younger going on a date to the welcome collection and there was a okay. there was a as you do uh and and, and there was a <laughs> yeah. there was a show on surrounding sexuality and they had oh, all yeah. of these different sort of implements of torture and pain it was, I think it was something called like pleasure and play, pain or something yeah. yeah and it blew my mind just and, and the, the hidden stories of gynecology, going back to what happened in America, the unspeakable experiments carried out on black bodies. And I don't want to be flippant about it. I was going to say and et cetera. And other people also who were at the margins who were experimented on. It's just it's yeah. such an interesting thing. So I'm going to put a pin on that
1: for now. Mm-hmm. So the artist was um, Laya Abriel. Laya the work is called Yeah. And the work's called On Abortion. And it forms a book as well.
0: Oh, I'm gonna to have to look into that. We've done most of the kind of plate spinning questions as I <laughs> And yeah. when do you think you achieved your first break in the curatorial world? And is there actually such a thing as a break? Or are they continuous moments of breaking?
1: Mm, continuous moments of kind of opportunities arising, I guess. Yeah, my first break. I think I had I think I had opportunities that were presented to me. And I kind of sort of grabbed them by the horns and took advantage of them or not. Sometimes those opportunities didn't arise or I wasn't particularly proactive. I'd only see this as a break now because, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'll just describe the scenario here. So I think I said when I was at Royal College of our part of our final year, we do an exhibition and we did a series of panel discussions. One of them I was chairing, I can't remember what it was about now, but I invited, I wasn't sharing it, I was organizing it and I invited Jelaine Towerdros to chair it. Innova had just been established, it just had this incredible launch conference at Tate Britain. She felt like someone who would who was a really important figure for me. And <laughs> I have to say when I first met her, she terrified me. Jelaine, I'm sorry if you're listening to this. You did terrify me. But something happened during the course of that panel discussion where, I don't know, actually I was on the panel. I do remember I was on the panel, but Jelaine was chairing it. Something in the course of that discussion, Pat shifted in our relationship. And it was like, that was the first time we were meeting. And a few months later, Jelaine wrote to me, as I'm sure she did to other people, to say that there was a, a job going at Chelsea College of Art Library um, to work as a research assistant on a book. And I applied for it and I got it. And uh, And that is actually, that is one of those it was called Recordings and it's one of those books I think has just been a sort of come in and out of focus, had its had its moment, sort of exist in the archive, come into focus again. It was a break for me in that I guess I met some incredible people. I kind of went back to working in a place that I loved, which was with libraries and archives. I got the opportunity to meet some of some great people who were the kind of subject of the material in those archives. It was a massive learning opportunity for me. And I guess when you think about a break, it's not about kind of profile raising and notoriety. It's about the opportunity to kind of meet others. And just going back to what you were asking about in terms of lines of inquiry, one of the things I'm really interested in is the space at which you you, you meet someone else, the space of collaboration, the space of exchange. And I think that's what I've enjoyed the most about my sort of curatorial endeavours or research endeavours it's always about my relationship with other people it's not just about me or my ideas
0: okay so I always give the floor for around two minutes for you to sort of throw out your own theme
1: of discussion before we wrap up I guess this is a question back to you, so it's not my theme of discussion. I'm sort of interested to hear, because you've done a few of these now, what are the common themes that are coming through? Because I know that you've interviewed colleagues who are at a similar point in their career, who are people of colour yeah and i I'm interested to know what what you've learned and what the common themes are and I'm sure your listeners are really keen to hear Eduardo as well Oh
0: goodness <laughs> what have I learned so far this is my fourth interview okay or conversation as I like to call them because I'm is it not too soon to tell no, um, I, feel, I feel like there must be an episode when I look back at all of you guys. There might be an event that I might organise where I have you all in the same room and, and, and then there'll be a warm embrace of warmth. But I, what I want to say is the following. I've learned a lot I've learned that the journey isn't necessarily as straightforward as people make it out to be. I've learned that most of the people that I've interviewed so far are very working class in the very different sort of stratified natures of them being being working class, but managed to rise to a position within the art world that has afforded them both notoriety and challenges. There's a lot of adversity along with the acclaim, and I feel honoured that the people have wish to speak about their stories and share it with other people like myself and allowed us to learn from examples not being prescriptive but that's what I've learned so far that there's still a lot of untraveled road to go for and people usually want to have the question of blackness or you know the question of political allegiance in terms of skin color and the rest of it being solved after you have a black figurehead or after you had multiple black figureheads. And the whole point of bucking the trend came from research. I sat down and looked at the research surrounding everyone who works in the art world and the, the breakdowns, basically. And it was shocking for me. It was mental shocking. breakdowns. Not in the way of breakdowns, but more in the way of breakdowns, in, as in, how can I put it? The breakdown of figures surrounding who was occupying what positions okay, and that and how that translates into influence. So yes. mental breakdowns also featured in those features. <laughs> and I gathered report writers from across this political spectrum, including not the political spectrum, but from the research perspective. So, for example, the current mayor of a Northwest region, Tracy Braben, who did a report for Parliament on the creative industries, oh, and a few others who did amazing research proposals. I've got them written down somewhere. And what I'd love to see them. I'm always like that. Because that's why I did this. So I could get a sense of because I do interviews with people who are on both sides of the spectrum now. I used to do it with people who are beginning and in in sort of in the middle on Instagram Mm. during during lockdown. And now it's turned into Mm -hmm. something. A little bit more full circle, but too
1: much about me. This is more about you. But I think it's good, you know. I think that is there a common theme? Is there a common element? Not that somehow that becomes a template. And actually, you bring up the thing about challenges. You know, we all face. I think in uh, working at any level, actually. But I think I might get I might get challenged on this. But I think the f- further you reach as a person of color the more challenges you face in terms of exclusionary behaviours. I really really think that. And often I find that you're the one who's having to speak out and in speaking out, you become sidelined either by choice or it happens. There's something organically that happens about that you know I've definitely spoken out and I've sidelined myself because I've not wanted to be part of a group of people who didn't not they just didn't think like me their thinking was so oppositional to mine in you know, and there was also so much guilt in the room which sort of makes it difficult to kind of have productive conversations and you know you've probably 2020 was the classic year for for some of
0: this you, um, the black
1: square and, 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 and all yeah, the rest the of the sort of behaviors yeah I don't know how often that gets spoken about I think it's probably there it's it's a really Aaron it's a spoke sort about of, of, it
0: and Aaron Cesar yeah spoke about it in his interview and if you want to listen to that you're more than welcome to people's because there's a lot of common themes that have been yeah. put forward but on a more light note I yeah. always like to end on on a heavy or light note because it makes things. Yeah. <laughs> any final remarks, pearls of wisdoms, and anyone that you'd like to thank on your rise,
1: so you can take
0: them in, in whatever order you want.
1: Anyone I'd like to thank? Oh God, there's so many people, and I thank them in different spaces as well. I guess it's Sonia Boyce. I'm just guessing. Just. Being available to me. I was 19, I think. She wasn't that much older than I was. And she sort of made herself available to me. Jelaine gave me my, you know, I suppose we spoke about this first break. She gave me my first break after doing that research assistant role. She recruited me to be assistant curator working with Guy Brett. It's just like an absolute dream to have done that, to have worked. On Lee Wan archive to develop his exhibition, and you know Guy, I think is one of the. I feel so sad that that Guy has passed, but just like one of the most sort of seminal curators of our time, Jonathan Watkins just for like being, you know, he was a bit of a cheerleader, just like letting me know that I could achieve stuff. And I think that there are other people actually who have, and I've, I remember saying this in another talk that I, that I gave, who saw things in me that I didn't quite see in myself, that helped me to kind of, I'd ask the question, sorry, instead of turning around and saying, no, Melanie, what are you are thinking? It was always, of course you can. Yes, you must. So, yeah, there are, and I, I but also I feel I still think about Stuart Hall a lot. And... I feel very privileged to have shared the space, the same space as Stuart, and yeah, to have to be, being part of Innova as well, actually. I feel grateful to, to have had that experience in my life. And Pearls of Wisdom. I've been really fortunate to have, and I guess this is a shout-out actually to Amrita Dalu and Priya Jay and Chloe Austin. They were three curatorial trainees at Innova and they are the future they're amazing i just think they're extraordinary women i feel incredibly fortunate to have worked with them to have been challenged by them so i've had my thinking broadened by them they we don't have a sort of formal mentoring relationship but they are mentoring me you know i don't see and i don't see enough of them and that reminds me of i need to see them but they're remarkable and i've there's other young black women curators who I've had the pleasure to you know who they've approached me to kind of talk to them about my experiences and I feel again very fortunate so I don't know if the only pearl of wisdom that I have and I'm not sure I'd call it pearl of wisdom because I think it's so much about common sense which is um as somebody in my position I said this earlier we we have to talk about our stories we have to talk about how we arrived here we have to think about in that process of arriving what we do to kind of make sure that others you know tread the path that we did with fewer obstacles you know that's what I really want to achieve and actually if me being here at the end of the phone or me being here to open my contact books, which a lot of mentors do anyway. That's basically my future role. It's not just about running Malcolm Collection. It's absolutely supporting a whole generation of curators, future directors who are coming through, who can be powerful in this world.
0: With that said, I'd like to thank you for being so honest and true to yourself in this interview, or conversation, as I like to call them. Welcome to the Bucking the Trend family.
1: Thank you, Eduardo.
0: For 10 buckers. Tell me what you think. This is my clotted assessment of my conversation with Melanie Keane. As an East Londoner, as a Briton, born and bred, Melanie has given us a different aspect of the curatorial experience from some of the other people who I've interviewed in this series. And I think it goes to show how difficult it is to make it within the album. If you are a person of colour... When even at the top, and especially a British person of color, when even at the top, there are so few homegrown talents who haven't fled to the US. That's another story for another day, maybe even for the podcast. The reason why I call this episode The Curator and Her Community, or Their Community, is because... There was a running thread throughout the episode. Moreover, throughout the conversation that we, that we conducted that spoke to a, la- a lack of structures that uplift, uphold, and fundamentally maintain Black talent in the UK, especially talent that is not your traditional talent, like those of theatre and um let's say even literature for example and music other art forms which seem to do a better job of keeping their talent within the uk sphere there was a place for people bipoc people which is my final assessment on this episode and i would say there's a space for all of us in these environments if there is enough due regard plays to structures of care and nurture which have proven so instrumental in what Melanie has been able to achieve from the, the friendship and the very sort of each one teach one mentality that was encompassed by her relationship with Sonia Boyce and amongst other luminaries. I have to give a shout out to Melanie's mother for being a stalwart supporter. Not my words, but hers. In general, what we can glean from the story is not that Melanie is an outlier as a result, because we're using the language of, of statistics, but it kind of begs the question as to why, from her generation perspective, there aren't more Melanesians in our system. So the importance of peer relationships is something that I'm taking away. The importance of family, the importance of a social, st- a social safety net provided by the state. And I'm not going to shy away from that subject is called state benefits. Education is important too, and the opportunities that that education then brings on us. And finally, I'd like to thank you all for being so good and tuning in. Additionally, I would like to point you to my Instagram page, Eduardo's Aesthetic. Yes, you are also my esthetes on this channel. Follow me, drop a like on whatever, network you're hearing this on share it moreover reach out if you have anything you'd
1: like to say thank you